And good evening, everyone. Welcome to this Outbeat Extra edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, tonight we are celebrating the start of our 10th year here on the air at KRCB. You know, our very first pilot show back in 2009 featured an interview with Positive Images. We had Jim Foster and several of the members on the air. And so we thought it only appropriate to bring Positive Images back here tonight to kind of catch up on what's going on with them. And in the second half of our hour, we're going to talk with Officer James Gonzalez. He's the LGBT liaison officer with the San Jose Police Department. Now, there aren't many departments up here in the North Bay with an LGBT liaison position. So we're going to talk to him about why San Jose has one and what the benefits might be. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, September 30th, 2018. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of September 30th, 2018. The New York Yankees were recently under pressure for being the only club in the major league without an LGBTQ Pride Night. But in an announcement this last week, the Yankees said they are committed to the LGBTQ community by way of a scholarship to honor the gay rights movement at Stonewall 50 years ago. Dubbed the Yankees Stonewall Scholarship Initiative, the celebration will honor New York City graduates from the public school system in all five boroughs. Five $10,000 scholarships will be dispersed as determined by the New York Department of Education. The scholarship event will be held June 17th through the 26th in 2019. Scholarship honorees will have made a positive impact toward the LGBT community in advancing equality. Stacy Lenz, the co-owner of the Stonewall Inn and founder of the Stonewall Inn Gives Back Initiative, said, quote, The Stonewall Inn represents the very place where gay pride began, and we're extremely excited that the New York Yankees will be an official partner of ours in the upcoming 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Their support of the Stonewall legacy is an historic step, and we look forward to continuing our work together to elevate awareness and support for full LGBTQ equality. Yankees managing general partner Hal Steinbrenner said, quote, the Yankees wholeheartedly support equality for all individuals and applaud any efforts to make our society more inclusive and tolerant, end quote. And here in California, Judge Jonathan Karish is set to become the second LGBT judge to preside over the San Mateo County Superior Court when he begins a two-year term in this leadership position this coming January. It's believed that come 2019, Karish will be the only LGBT presiding judge of a county court system in California, and only one of a few nationwide. Karish has been serving since 2016 as the assistant presiding judge, and ran unopposed to succeed the current presiding judge, Judge Susan Edizadi. It's believed that the first LGBT presiding judge in California was now retired lesbian judge Rosemary Pfeiffer. She oversaw the San Mateo County Court System in 2000 and stepped down from the bench in 2012. And here locally, the 2018 Outwatch Film Festival is coming up October 12th through the 14th at the Rialto Cinemas in Sebastopol. Opening night begins at 7.30 p.m. with Maplethorpe, the 2018 documentary about the life of acclaimed photographer Robert Mablethorpe. Saturday's lineup includes four feature films, including Man Made, a film about the transition of four men and their families, Ideal Home, The Rest I Make Up, and Kiss Me. Sunday's lineup includes Lesbians Behind the Lens and The Watermelon Woman. This year's festival has something for everyone, so come on out and check it out. An all-weekend pass is available for $70, and tickets to individual films are $12 each. You can get all of the details, including the complete film schedule, at outwatchfilmfest.org.
For a calendar of LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Well, Positive Images has been serving and supporting LGBT youth here in Sonoma County for over a quarter century. It was the first such organization to openly welcome and advocate for LGBT youth. And recently they've moved into a new space. They have a new director. And we're thrilled tonight to have their board president and their fundraising chair with us to give us all the update uh, on Positive Images. Uh, so I want to introduce Christian Solberg, who's the president of the board, and his husband, Ozzy Jimenez. Now, you may not know them from Positive Images. You may recognize them from their delicious bakery and ice cream shop in Healdsburg, the Mustache Baked Goods and No Folk Ice Cream Shop, where I was this last weekend. And got to tell you, the pumpkin chocolate chip ice creams to die for, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's good to have you here. Um, so you're both on the board and, and volunteers with the organization. Uh, we talked when we had you on the show a while back about uh, your involvement there. But for our listeners who didn't hear that show, how did you get involved with Positive Images? What motivates you? Yeah, um, I guess I, I'll go back a couple years. So essentially, I've been with PI for the last four years. Um, I kind of just, it was just, I woke up one morning, you know, I have the great businesses in Healdsburg that I'm really um, passionate about. And essentially I got to a point where I really wanted to give back and get involved in the, you know, LGBT community up here. Um, I was born in Healdsburg, so I really love um, Sonoma County. And, you know, I got on Google and you know, was like, oh, let's figure out all the LGBT organizations in the area. And there was, you know, a few. Um, and the the one that came up was Positive Images. And so I had known about PI when I, you know, went to high school here and grew up here. Um, I never, you know, attended because I was from Healdsburg and not from Santa Rosa, but I essentially kind of knew about it. So I connected with Jim Foster and um, started off as an adult volunteer. Um, I met him at the Chin Street location um, where our center used to be. And Jim kind of gave me the rundown of the organization. He kind of let me know he was planning on um, kind of retiring from PI and was looking for people to really, you know, take the torch on and keep PI running. And so it was kind of a call of action a little bit, but I really, you know, got to know PI. I think that's actually mm -hmm. how I met you as um, at one of our support group meetings and you were the guest speaker. Yeah, it was a, that was a few years back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and then and then we also kind of had this kind of like epiphany moment where you know we had been you know working later, like every day at the stores up in Healdsburg, and we we're just desiring some sort of sense of community. And a lot of folks our age and you know the mid twenties, early thirties, typically in Sonoma County, you know, leave. Um, they go to bigger cities, um, bigger areas of the country. And so for us, you know, Chris and I were like, well, how do we develop a sense of community? Like, where do we go to? Um, and I think that's kind of part of the reason why you, you know, got in touch with like Jim and kind of got the ball rolling with positive images. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started off, you know, like I said, just being an adult volunteer and then very quickly, um, the board, uh, president at the time, you know, stepped back cause he, uh, had some work obligations. And so I kind of was thrown into, um, the board really quickly and, you know, I just really fell in love with the organization. I really, 
I'm passionate about the work that we do. So I kind of took the reins and I've been helping PI kind of navigate um, all the changes the past few years. Well, and there have been quite a few, and uh, those are big changes because Jim was there for so long and mm-hmm. did such an amazing job. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the changes. You have a new director now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jessica Carroll is amazing. Um, yeah, um, the the changes that have happened the past few years, obviously we had a, um, I think it was PI's 25th anniversary. We had a big event for, um, you know, for PI at Finley Center and um, kind of also honored Jim because that was also his kind of retirement party with PI. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the first main thing that I did with PI. And then... Um, when he stepped down, uh, Javier Ros- uh, Rosales uh, stepped in. He was our outreach coordinator, and so we promoted him to be the program director, and he's absolutely incredible. And he um, helped us kind of navigate this big change because, you know, having be- – being around for 30 years and having the, you know, founder essentially step down was pretty big for us. So Javier – been working with Jim for so long and in the community, it was such a good like transition Mm -hmm. person to be there. And, um, Javier actually, um, stepped down as director, I think about six months ago. Um, but he's actually now, I brought him back on the board. So he's working with us again. Um, Oh, fantastic. I didn't hear that. That's great. Yeah. So Javier's back and then essentially finding a new director is you know, challenging for nonprofits and especially with what we do, um, working with, you know, at risk kids and, it's just really important to have the right person. And Jessica Carroll um, is from – she's from Santa Rosa originally, but she had been working in Sacramento with actually at-risk youth um, um, over there and kind of a similar program. So it was kind of a perfect fit when she came back mm-hmm. to Sonoma County. And so as soon as I met her, I kind of grabbed her and I was like, hey, you you know would be perfect for this role. And she accepted the position and she's just been a really great um, – you know, advocate for PI and she's just, you know, she's a rugby player and she's just um, in it in the community. So we really appreciate Jessica's work. Nice. Yeah. Um, And then you've also kind of like reshaped the board a little bit too at Positive Images. So I think for the longest time, Positive Images didn't have a board. And so now there's a governing board for Positive Images that Christian's kind of been working on for the past couple of years of getting people who are really passionate about the programming and services that PI has to offer. And so, you know, now there's like a core group of folks that really are helping drive the organization. Yeah. Awesome. And, and you mentioned you originally went to the old Chin Street mm-hmm. location, uh, but of course that has also changed. You have a beautiful brand new space now. Tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so we actually, that was the major thing when I first started with PI when I got on the board was we were running out of space. So essentially, you know, when you did the guest speaking spot for us, we were actually, our meetings were a little bit you know, disjointed from the organization. So we had this, you know, beautiful little house, you know, spot that we had been in for, I think about 12 years, but, um, our membership and kind of the need of PI, mm-hmm. the amount of um, youth that we serve weekly outgrew that center. So we were having our meetings at the SRJC and they were giving us a space for free and it was incredible, but it was also challenging, you know, kind of having the space away from the center. So that was kind of my main project. And what I wanted to do for PI was get us into a center where we could have right. our meetings inclusive. So we searched for, I think, six months. It was a you know long time just looking for spaces, meeting with real estate agents. And essentially, we found a space that's actually right across the street from Gin Street. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close, right? Yeah. yeah. So stones throw away. Yeah. 
So yeah. uh, tell us about it. It's on. It's a 200 Montgomery, right? Yeah, it's 200 Montgomery Drive, Sweet C, and Santa Rosa. So it's kind of like Upper Fourth Street a little bit. We're kind of behind the Arco uh, gas station, and there's a few other um, medical um, offices in, in our building. But we have a really big um, open space for our um, support group meetings, and that was the biggest thing. And we have it really. We have an LGBT kind of resource center that's on the left side of our office, with you know um, where me and Jessica's office is as well. And then the other side is just a big open space with couches and all the kids' artwork on the walls. So it's a really welcoming kind of open space. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, 30 years ago, PI was the only place to go. Literally, there were no gay straight alliances. There was nothing for youth. And it was really uh, innovative. There wasn't really anything like it around. Now there are gay straight alliances. And so talk about the programming today. Are, yeah. are they still doing the, the Thursday night support groups? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So PI, you know, I think what's so special about positive images is that we always kind of address the needs that are in the community. And so the organization has kind of morphed throughout the last, you know, 28 years that we've been around. Um, we were open in 1990. And essentially Jim Foster opened the organization as kind of, uh, you know, the need back then was uh, a lot more about the uh, HIV and AIDS epidemic. And so a lot of his, you know, close friends and people in the community. So it was more of a gay men's organization originally. And it was kind of in Jim Foster's uh, living room. And it was just a couple of guys getting together, kind of having a safe space to talk about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, you know, issues and um, things that they were going through at the time. And then, you know, throughout the last, you know, 28 years, we've really morphed into kind of what is it the community needs. And so um, now we serve uh, ages 12 to 24 in Sonoma County, LGBT youth and young adults. Um, We have, yeah, our Thursday support group is the biggest one. It's every Thursday, seven to nine. It's, and it's a, drop-in um, meeting so you don't you know need to tell us in advance and, you know if you're a parent with a kid that's maybe on the early you know younger side the 12 to maybe 15 it's nice to connect with us because you we also invite parents to come to the first you know meeting or so because um, sometimes the kids are a little nervous or um, the parents sure. just kind of want to know what we do um, so the Thursday 7 to 9 meeting is um, incredible we started a new program this year with Jessica that's um, it's kind of an art therapy session and it's Wednesdays three to five and it's like our art jams. So essentially we just supply all the, you know, materials and the kids kind of show up and we have an on-site MFT um, resource. Um, and she, you know, is, is there at the Thursday night meetings to kind of, if, you know, any major, you know, things are going through with the kids. Um, she's there to kind of um, help ass- assess the, the kids at that point. Um, we are also starting a, a tutoring session from three to five for LGBT um, youth and, and also allies, you know, but just in that range of 12 to 24. And then we have... Um, tutoring for school? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can drop oh, in nice. the center. You know, that's the best thing about the center is just we have so much more space that we can offer more programming. And so that's what we've been beefing up this year and we and we also do social saturdays um i think once a month we do a social saturday at the center where it's six to nine and we always have all these um flyers and everything on our facebook on positive images uh facebook that you can check out when we have the social saturdays and that's just more like you know because it can be pretty heavy in the thursday night groups you know talking about you know you know, suicide, depression, just all, all the, you know, things that kids are right, going through. Right. Um, so sometimes it's just nice to be in a room and play video games or listen to music. And um, right. so we'll have adult volunteers. Just to hang out with people like yeah, you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. great. 
What's the? I, I'm just curious. What's the size of the group that typically shows up on a Thursday night now? Um, yeah. So when I first started with PI about four years ago, it was maybe. 12, 14 kids, something around there. We're now at about 45 to 55 kids oh weekly. Um, so we're almost outgrowing our current center, but, you know, we're making the best of it. But, you know, it's kind of the speaking of the times that we're in, I think. W- exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, there's all kinds of reasons for young people to want to get some relief from that. But is it – what's the age demographic leaning towards? Is it mostly on the, the higher side of – what you serve or is it mostly youth younger people yeah so it's it's actually a mix so also part of what pi does as well is that we try to be a youth-led organization so we actually empower and train um like on fridays and thursdays we have our leadership training and nancy uh, vogel who used to be a, a She's kind of the co-founder of PI, and she's actually still with us, and she actually runs the leadership programming. Um, and actually, we empower those um, kids to actually run the Thursday night meeting. So, because it's a little bit, you know, easier, I think, for the kids not to have just some adult kind of talking at them. Sure. It's like you know their own peers or they're leading the groups. Um, and so, you know, I would say the leadership kids are a little bit older. I'd say more like high school, early college ages. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but this year specifically, we've had a lot more like 12, 13, 14 year old kids. And we get emails constantly for kids that are even younger than that. And so we, you know, try to stick to that age group, but we, you know, we help lots of different, you know, age groups beyond that. Great. I know just with my own students that the gender nonconforming, gender questioning, Mm -hmm. transgender umbrella um, population seems to be growing. Mm Mm-hmm exponentially what are you seeing at PI and what kind of services are you providing for transgender kids? Yeah. Um, so essentially most of our, um, you know, membership, it's like kind of all across the board of what, you know, what letter they, you know, identify or, or whatever, but essentially, um, yeah, a lot more gender nonconforming, specifically trans, um, youth is, is a lot higher than, um, years past. So we actually have, um, it's all on our website on pauseimages.org. Um, and it has all of our support group uh, meetings. We have a few that are um, trans. They're not specifically put on through PI, but they're kind of connected with our organization. Of we have like adult uh, trans groups. We have, um, and we also have a, a, a Jackie Nugent who's been with PI forever. She's um, our kind of uh, trans adult volunteer that's been with us for so long. I mean, longer than I've been a part of PI, and she um, is actually there to be a resource um, for the uh, trans kids as well and so it's been been great awesome you have a halloween dance coming up Mm-hmm. It's kind of an annual event. Tell, uh, tell us about it. Yeah. So a couple um, events that PI puts on that I think we've just been doing in the community forever um, is our kind of queer coming um, event and also Hella Gay Prom. Um, so our annual queer coming um, is coming up October 27th. It's 530 to 9 at Monroe Hall in Santa Rosa. And the theme this year is Out in the Woods. And it's going to be a spooky Halloween dance. And there's going to be music, food, dancing, murder mystery games, activities. And the tickets are 15 bucks. Um, and the youth can exchange a setup slash cleanup uh, volunteering for payment if the 15 bucks is a little bit too much. But essentially it's just to cover the costs for the event. Nice. Now do you have to be a regularly attending member of PI to attend or can any LGBT youth 
Yeah, so essentially the the queer coming in the Hellgate prom events that we you know PI that has been known for, we always um, have that you know f- for the public as well because you know sometimes when you're going to high school and you know um, you're not exactly as welcomed at, at prom. So a little bit more in the past few years, you can bring your partner. It's not as um, difficult, but a lot of kids do have just being open at their own prom or, or homecoming is kind of a challenge. So essentially anyone that's in the 12 to 24 group um, is welcome. Terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Well, I know LGBTQ Connection mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of started in Napa, has expanded up here into Sonoma County and does some youth work. What, what's been transpiring there? Any collaborations? Yeah. Um, we actually um, – Ozzy has been a part of this task force with PI that um, – it's an organization in um, Sacramento and the task force is out for mental health. And it's essentially a task force um, specifically for Sonoma County where they're helping us tackle a few issues like you know housing for LGBT um, people and you know youth and young adults and a few other um, kind of – you know, issues that we're having in Sonoma County for LGBT specific people. And so PI is a part of that um, task force with LGBT connections. So we've been kind of partnering with them um, specifically and um, you know, LGBT connections is incredible. They, they, they focus a little bit more on social events. And so they put on just incredible events all throughout the year. So we actually, you know, we'll help um, volunteer with their events, you know, our, our oh, youth great. will kind they, of They also mingle. helped put on the LGBT TQ Summit with Positive Images last year, which was really impactful. Um, Excellent. We brought in a – or yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's great. So you're really doing some things together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, essentially our organizations are a little bit different in the sense that PI is, you know, a little bit more mental health support and just kind of the advocacy for the youth. And, you know, like I said, the uh, LGBT connections is a little bit more of um, social based events, but it's actually just been working really great the last couple of years working with them. How great is it that all these kids have so many options? I mean, you know, yeah, that wasn't the case of a uh, not short time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. I mean, yeah. when you guys were growing up, did you have anything like that? No, um, you know, like I, I grew, I went to Piner High, and for some reason, positive images wasn't on my radar until recently. Seeing Christian get involved with positive images has been kind of the reason why I started engaging positive images too. So yeah, and when I when I grew up in Healdsburg, I mean, you know, Healdsburg was a, a great area to grow up in, but you know, there were, you know, I mean, I was definitely you know kind of bullied in, in middle school and stuff. And I when I got into high school, I was living in Santa Rosa, but I still went to Healdsburg High, and so um, I had seen PIs, you know, pamphlets and stuff around. Like I don't know if if I was really on Facebook in high school, but you know, just I'd see flyers and stuff, and I was always, I I think I actually went to a few I almost tried to go to a few meetings but I was so nervous because right. I had just recently because I came out around like 17 18 so I was kind of really new to it and it just kind of like scared me a little bit and then it's just so funny like years later now I'm kind of helping run the organization that's <laughs> <laughs> great it's great Oz we've got a few minutes left uh, your job is to help bring in resources to the organization exactly. so um, tell our listeners what you need well one of the things that I love about PI is um, just how well organized it is. You, we are a nonprofit that has a r- direct relationship with the county. And so a lot of our funding comes from the county through the MHSA funding that the state of California um, passed some years ago. Um, the fact is, is, is PI needs your help. 
we have been doing programming, like you said, for the last quarter century. And to have all this great programming that Christian has just talked about requires a lot of effort. Um, hiring a new ED like Jessica requires effort and it requires help from the community to keep our programming sustainable for years to come. Um, and so I encourage all of you, you know, if something has resonated with you um, in terms of what Positive Images is doing, reach out to us. Get um, get on the website. Uh, there's a donate button there. Um, yeah, our, our website's pauseimages.org um, slash donate is, you know, a way to, you know, donate and, and keep our services because our services are also free to the youth. And so it really helps with community support. And I'm currently looking for uh, more board members. So any, you know, anyone that's in the community um, that really wants to keep our services around, you know, like I said, we have 45, 55 kids showing up weekly and we need to keep this organization, um, you know, thriving in our community, especially, you know, the the goal for nonprofits is, you know, hopefully you won't be needed in the future. But, you know, as of right now in the current times, you know, our services are oh, more crucial sure. than ever. Sure. And then also to kind of add on that, you know, it's been really challenging for nonprofits here in Sonoma County, especially with the mental health cuts that, that, that were happening, you know, this year and then a little bit of last year. And so I'm really proud to say that, you know, positive images, you know, we didn't receive a lot of the mental health cuts. Um, and part of that is this because the county really believes in our programming and services. Um, but that doesn't mean that the work isn't finished. Um, and so, you know, there is a lot of things that that you know, Positive Images has its eyes on in terms of, of, of wanting to serve more youth. And the only way we can do that is, is with your help and support. Terrific. Give us that website again where people can go. Yeah, it's www.pauseimages.org, P-O-S images.org or follow us online on Facebook at positive images. Great. Mm -hmm. And if you miss those websites, we will definitely put them on our own website at outbeatnews.com. You can just click on show notes at the top of the page and we'll have those links for you there. Um, Christian and Ozzy, thanks again for all the work you're doing for the community. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. For making amazing, delicious desserts. <laughs> Keep that up. And we'll look forward to hearing all the exciting news about maybe some new things coming to Santa Rosa. Maybe some next time we have you things on coming to Santa Rosa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. So we appreciate you being on the show with us. We are going to take a music break, and we'll be back with Officer James Gonzalez from the San Jose Police Department talking about LGBT liaison positions. But in the meantime, here is Jordan Smith with Stand in the Light. Stand in the light and be seen as we are Didn't I tell you I hear what you say Never look back as you're walking away Carry the music, the memories and keep them inside
hold on to your faith You get what you give and it's never too late To reach for the branch and climb up Leaving sadness behind you If you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth here on KRCBFM Radio 91, and I'm Greg Moralia. Well, in the second half of our hour, we're going to talk with Officer James Gonzalez of the San Jose Police Department. He's the LGBT liaison officer. He and I had a chance to work together on some pending legislation that will provide LGBT awareness training for law enforcement here in California. But not every agency, especially here in the North Bay, even has an LGBT liaison officer. So here to tell us more about that and how it all works and why it's so important for a department is Officer James Gonzalez. James, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you and to hear and learn a little bit more about LGBT liaison positions. Uh, But before we get to that, our listeners always enjoy hearing about where our guests come from and what their journey has been. So talk about where you grew up and what led you into law enforcement. Um, my family is all from uh, the San Jose area. That's uh, where I was born. Uh, I actually grew up in Vacaville. Um, I, I've been in law enforcement, uh, gosh, it's coming up on two decades. I worked uh, as a reserve for Santa Clara PD for a couple of years, then I got hired full-time uh, with San Jose uh, Police Department. I've been there uh, a little over 17 years. Um, and uh, the liaison position was created a little over a year ago. Um, and I am the first officer to uh, hold that position. Um, I've worked all around the department. Uh, I've worked uh, our street crimes undercover. I've worked the detective bureau. 
um, really had a nice chance to sort of see all the different uh, assets of the department. Um, a big department, we have a lot of ability to move around. Um, and I spent a good time in our uh, police union. Um, we went through, uh, you know, quite a period of, uh, you know, battles over uh, pay, benefit, pensions, and, um, and and that was an interesting time of my career as well. Uh, and now uh, I'm uh, working uh, out of the chief's office doing the LGBT liaison work uh, and other uh, uh, communications efforts that the department is undertaking. Well, 20 years, it's quite a career so far, and you're such a young guy. Uh, have you been out as a gay man the entire time, or was there a transition period for you? No, the first half of my career, I wasn't out. We did not have uh, any out uh, male officers in our department. Um, And about the time I came out, uh, two other male officers came out. Um, uh, You know, we did have a uh, openly transgender officer. Uh, during the, during that time, but no openly gay male officers, and it just really is sort of an interesting um, dynamic uh, in police officers, where we really do struggle uh, in having environments where the male officers are comfortable of being out. Uh, when I did come out, um, it, you know, I had I sort of had a very visible uh, position in the department uh, with the police union, um, and I'll say my experience uh, has been very good at San Jose PD. Um, you know, not the same experience as everybody ha- does experience around the country um, in different departments. Uh, but but for me, it has been a good experience. And we really have a chief right now who is working, um, you know, triple hard to to make sure that that we're an employer uh, mm-hmm. that is a place where people feel comfortable being who they are. Yeah, Chief Garcia is really quite a guy. I've had the chance to meet him a couple of times, and, and I'm thoroughly impressed with his commitment to really creating an inclusive workspace. And we'll come back to that when we talk about this legislation we got to work on together. But, you know, I'm curious. San Jose is not a small agency. It's the 10th largest in the country. Is that right? That's correct. And so it, it's a little surprising to me that with an agency that size and a rank and file that size that's predominantly men, that it was so long for people to come out that's one surprise and then the other surprise is you are really one of the pioneers and you were accepted in a very positive way it sounds like yeah you know i I think a lot of it has to do with um just uh you know nobody uh taking the step uh you know the first couple of steps it has to do with uh, the employers not really taking steps to make it an environment where people are comfortable and then uh, you know, so there's just a lot of fear of what's going to happen right if you have no openly gay male uh, uh officers in your department then uh, it's a scary thing to to sort of be the first and that's the case in a lot of places right. um but you know, I think it, it goes back to the, just the police culture where um, LGBT training uh, uh, just uh, or issues haven't been part of our, our uh, in, you know, curriculum. They're not taught. Uh, and and, and it's, we're just now sort of catching up to uh, other workplaces um, where we talk about uh, uh, families that are uh, different from um, an opposite sex family. Same sex families are not uh, necessarily discussed. You know, there are a lot of things that departments, 
you know, hadn't thought about doing. Uh, when they talk about, you know, even extracurricular events, where they talk about inviting your wives, you know, rather than inviting your uh, significant others. There's just a lot of things that people subconsciously uh, were not aware of and being proactive to do these things to make employees feel welcome mm-hmm. I think is making a big difference. Yeah. Well, it's great that you're finally catching up when I say finally because when I think of San Jose, A, for being such a huge department in a large city, it's also in the heart of Silicon Valley, which really is on the forefront of so many things. There's a large gay community there. So it's it only seems logical that the police department would be sort of on that cutting edge as well. And so it is great to see the department catching up in that way. And in this new LGBT liaison position, I think the chiefs are really demonstrating stepping out there um, because there aren't a lot of those designated positions, even here in the Bay Area. Talk about how that position came to be. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, San Jose, you know, has sort of been on the cutting edge of a lot of uh, uh, policing issues, you know, for decades where it comes to uh, the ori- origination of the modern field training program, you know, to, to a lot of different things. And this is an area where we were sort of playing catch up on it a little bit. Um, the chief, uh, you know, right when he uh, uh, elevated from assistant chief, he created an LGBT liaison uh, board. Uh, for himself. And that was comprised of community members uh, and employees. And one of the first things that came out of that was the LGBT liaison position. And we looked to agencies like Seattle, uh, LA, who had these positions, uh, you know, uh, early on. And some of the things that came out of that uh, committee group um, was the need for this LGBT liaison position. Um, Hate crimes, of course, uh, people are aware in the LGBT community and and other minority communities are, are up. Uh, recently, but it, it's always been the case that you know just reporting a crime uh, can out yourself, and depending on uh, what environment you live, that can cost you your job or your your um, status in the family. Uh, your uh, shelter can be put at risk, you know, by just reporting uh, the circumstances of a crime. So there really is a need um, to have some comfort level that that there's going to be a department that takes those things into consideration when they're dealing with you. And the sort of um, variety of calls that uh, I get are, um, you know, across the board. We, you know, I have applicants who now call um, asking to talk to the LGBT liaison officer who are transgender, gay or lesbian. Um, they want to know uh, what kind of environment uh, your department is, and they want to know it from somebody who is out. And, you know, we don't have a, a mechanism in government to, uh, you know, catalog uh, your, your sexual orientation, right? And so this is really one of the only ways uh, uh, for a department to sort of put out there somebody who um, uh, is... Uh, letting people know what their sexual orientation is um, through that position and then sort of opens up that conversation. Mm. So it's not just a role about connecting with citizens. It's also about being a recruiting tool for the Absolutely. It, it's you know it has it's, it has sort of three legs I sort of say you know it is uh, it is a liaison for the community but it's also the liaison for the, the department employees you know there are employee issues in every employer in every department and this gives um, an avenue for employees to do it and then it absolutely is a, a huge recruiting tool and when departments are looking to make themselves uh, reflect the communities uh, more accurately um, you know gay males are one of the most deficient areas that police departments have and so this um, is an area we're working on we're working on uh, uh, recruiting all uh, orientations genders um, 
transgender officers are are something we're in, in, in desperate need of. Um, but but these having these uh, sort of uh, variety of people in your department really does give people more confidence and trust in your sure, department. Sure, sure. Well, and and again, San Jose, I think became a model when. Uh, I think during your tenure, a pretty progressive recruiting campaign targeting gay men and lesbians uh, was launched. Yeah. I haven't seen anything like that ever. Yeah, it's you know there, it, it's, it was a very interesting topic. Shortly, you know, after we launched the liaison position, we had our San Jose Pride event coming up, and we launched a new recruiting campaign during that. And so we just went about this, uh, you know, almost like we would any recruiting campaign, and we recruited. Uh, same-sex couples, actual spouses uh, in the department, as well as uh, straight couples to do a similar ad where they were getting ready for work uh, and stuff. But uh, what we came to realize is, uh, you know, there was places like New York who had been recruiting at Pride, uh, you know, for almost 20 years. Uh, But nobody, no police department that we have found has ever done advertising where they showed same-sex couples. Where they actually showed sort of affection of of you know uh, two wives uh, 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 you know sending the officer their officer wife off to work uh, things like that too so it really was groundbreaking um, we we got a lot of uh, really positive feedback from it uh, and it just shows that you know there's we have a long ways to go in in doing this sort of uh, work um, but that was uh, we were really proud to sort of. Uh, lead the way in, in that area. That's pretty awesome. So, talk about the feedback or the reaction to the department or from the department. You've been doing this now for a couple of years. Um, it's been a little over a year, I think. Since okay, a little over a year. So, what what's the reaction been from the rank and file? Yeah, it's been positive. Um, I, I think you know, department members uh, you know have a lot of questions, and and this has been. Um, a venue for them to sort of ask those questions. You know, we'll talk about the legislation a little bit too. But um, there are uh, people in every department in our department that don't know, uh, uh, don't have a transgender friend, or maybe don't have a, a gay or lesbian friend, and they don't know, uh, you know, what's an appropriate way to talk about that relationship or to things like that too. So I think for department members, it's a real positive to really have. Uh, a conversation opener around all of these issues. Seems like every agency should have one. And I know up here in the North Bay, uh, Santa Rosa PD has a, a sergeant that is the lead for uh, the liaison to the community. I don't know how formalized that position is, but I'm not aware of any other law enforcement agency in the North Bay that has an LGBT liaison. So, you know, if you were going to sell it to a group of chiefs and sheriffs, what would you tell them about why they need one? I would just say that the, that every community uh, uh, needs one for for a couple of reasons. One, uh, for the community uh, aspect. Um, as soon as you announce it, you're going to uh, receive uh, an increase in crimes that are not being reported. The LGBTQ community is uh, vastly underreports crimes that are committed uh, for fears, and so there's a responsibility as a chief of any police department to make sure that you are. Um, serving uh, all segments of your community, and then it, it it's you know puts a flag in the in the ground that you're a welcoming uh, environment. And if you're a department that doesn't have out, out gay males, for instance, uh, you know uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> there there are, and they're just not out in your department. You know m- most departments are going to have uh, people who are serving not uh, out 
as they are, and they're having to live two lives. And by having an LGBT liaison position, it also shows your employees that you're uh, a welcome uh, employer, that you support all of your families uh, that work there. And I think you're going to likely see more people being comfortable um, being uh, true to their uh, uh, selves and to their uh, coworkers and not having to conceal um, uh, who they spend their time or their days off with. Seems like a great way, too, to prevent some workplace harassment and discrimination claims, too, if we can create a more inclusive workplace uh, on the job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen this uh, around the country where when you don't, when, when you have a department that's not that doesn't have a, a segment of the population who's out. Unfortunately, sometimes people will make inappropriate comments about that, too, thinking that, oh, there's nobody like this uh, around, so it's fair game to make a joke about this segment of the population. It's, it's not. Um, and and, um, and this, is, this is absolutely one way um, to work on that issue uh, and, and avoid you know, lawsuits and, and troubling situations that we do just continue to see even very recently. Great. Well, hopefully this conversation will inspire our uh, new sheriff here in Sonoma County and some of the chiefs in, in the county to uh, take some action and uh, take a look at appointing an LGBT liaison. Let's shift gears a bit. You and I had uh, the chance to work on some legislation that we have our fingers crossed about being signed by the governor. Um, Assemblymember Evan Lowe was good enough uh, to carry this legislation through with us and assembly bill 2504 would develop some guidelines and to a certain extent some requirements for training for law enforcement in california statewide on lgbt issues where did this idea for you to get involved come from what prompted it I think there had been, you know, a lot of conversations happening uh, uh, around uh, just a, a number of different sort of service providers, you know, uh, police being, you know, one of them. Um, and, you know, something that happened, we a lot of times the sort of cart before the horse situation happens. You know, California passed um, AB 953, uh, racial profiling law that requires uh, law enforcement to collect data on people that they're stopping. Uh, some of those requirements require them to uh, document whether they perceive them to be LGBT, their perceived gender, uh, including categories for transgender man, uh, transgender woman, girl, gender nonconforming. And if you talk to uh, a lot of people in society or, or, or police officers, a lot of them uh, aren't, were not able to describe uh, or, or articulate uh, a di the different sort of uh, gender categories um, or LGBT categories. And so we're requiring people to give their opinion on something we've never trained them on. So it just was kind of crazy um, uh, in, in that respect. Um, you know, we saw hate crimes you know, going up um, uh, amongst the LGBT communities. So I think just a lot of sort of things sort of culminated around. Uh, Quality California had been interested in, in this in uh, uh, area for quite a while, um, and I think uh, a, a group got together and, and we started working on it. And, and um, you know, largely based in a lot of the work that you've done, Greg, uh, there was really some some uh, framework that was sort of ready to go to, that sort of uh, addressed a lot of the deficiencies in our uh, police training um, that was almost turnkey. So, yeah, well, I, you know, it's interesting when I talk to people about the bill and kind of the journey that we've been on because this started back in February. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the most common reaction I get is, you mean law enforcement doesn't get this training already? 
Yeah, there was this, there's this belief that you know that academies are already talking about LGBT issues, and the reality of it is there is nothing required except mm-hmm. some very minimal mention um, of of LGBT coworkers, but nothing right. to to really get at some of the basics that this bill provides. Yeah, I mean the the post has recognized you know that uh, competency uh, you know in different uh, uh, you know communities is really important for police officers understanding the communities you're going to be served and that's why you know learning domain 42 cultural diversity is 40 hours you know it's a significant chunk but you know glaringly absent from that was the LGBTQ community right. Um, yeah right well and I, I think one of the challenges is that because sexual orientation and gender identity are really invisible differences, there is this lack of awareness that sexual orientation and gender identity minorities exist in every single county and city in the state of California in every community around the world. but this bill addresses California and so you know whether it shows up on a on a demographic survey that you have a percentage of this and that or not, gay people are there, and law enforcement needs to be ready to serve them. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, this bill is going to provide some training in very in five very specific areas. It's going to teach law enforcement about what sexual orientation and gender identity is. It's going to talk about some of the terminology that people use to describe their sexual orientation and gender identity. It's going to talk about the intersectionality with culture and religion. It is going to talk about how to create an inclusive workspace and how to more effectively respond to domestic violence and hate crimes involving LGBT people. It's a nice package and I think a pretty comprehensive uh, bit of training to make law enforcement better. Absolutely, it's uh, it really seems you know sort of simple when you when you're going to read it off it uh, like that. But uh, yeah, the impact is is it won't be simple. It, it's really going to make a difference. And so, who is going to get training from this? What are some of the different positions that are going to get training? Is it just law enforcement officers on the street? No, I mean this is dispatchers as well, and and you know I think that was a really uh, thoughtful uh, way of going about this. Uh, you know, the, all of you know, the majority of uh, contacts, you know, are coming in through dispatch. And so having uh, competency uh, in the first point of contact for law enforcement was really important. And so so dispatchers will will be getting this as well. Fantastic. And one of the areas that it does address is helping law enforcement be more responsive to domestic violence in the LGBT community. Um, What differences have you seen uh, in terms of how... Law enforcement has traditionally responded to domestic violence. Do you think that there are cases where that are overlooked as being domestic violence because the officer simply doesn't realize they're dealing with a same-sex couple that's dating? Yeah, absolutely. The, you know the the different types of relationships that you're going to encounter uh, on a call might not be you know dispatched as a domestic violence uh, incident. And so training is, is really important for officers just to be aware and to be on the lookout for, you know, seemingly uh, mutual combat sort of situations that are domestic violence and to be looking for those signs. And when an officer gets called to, uh, you know, a disturbance and, and there, there's some violence involved and it's a man and a woman, uh, there, uh, you know, antennas are already up, right? You're looking for that, uh, you know, link to see if there's a relationship element uh, that would, you know, drastically change the situation. And so those antennas need to be up for all different uh, uh, situations and, and, and relationships because often um, 
the person who's calling or, or a witness who's calling um, will not know that, maybe not know that relationship. And then the people involved uh, are not going to divulge it because it could jeopardize, like I said before, their situation, their living uh, uh, status, their employment, uh, family uh, relationships. And so officers really need to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the reality of it is we have marriage equality now, and we know already from statistics and studies that rates of domestic violence in same-sex couples are really equivalent to that of straight couples. There's no difference. Yep, absolutely. So it's just about having this. It's just about having these conversations, uh, talking about things like that too. Um, you know, there there could be perceptions that um, uh, you, you may. An officer may not think of it the same when it's a for you know a male and a male that has a, a combat situation that's domestic violence. You know there is no difference uh, when you're talking about domestic violence right. and, the, and the law, and so um, we just need to make sure that everybody is clear on that. Right. So it sounds from our conversation that law enforcement is looking for out LGBTQ plus people. So Absolutely fair statement. And and is San Jose PD currently recruiting? Absolutely. Uh, we are hiring. Um, we're, we are uh, in a constant hire. We're running three academies a year. Um, and uh, we are absolutely looking for LGBTQ uh, uh, officers. Um, we would love uh, to increase the number. Um, it's, it's an area that uh, we are really focusing on and that uh, we're hopeful that uh, a lot of the efforts that we're doing in the community, uh, our advertising campaign, our liaison position, uh, and our police chief, who has been uh, very uh, active uh, in the LGBT community, really show that we're a welcoming workplace that uh, would love to have uh, more of your family uh, be part of our family. So just for recruiting purposes and ed- community education purposes here, uh, if you get hired by San Jose, you're paid to go through the academy. It's your training. You're actually getting a salary while you're going to school. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. We pay you to go to the academy, uh, and so you know that's your full time job, and you get full time pay. Absolutely. And what does a police officer starting out in the city of San Jose make a year? Uh, well, I'll go the opposite way. Uh, a San Jose police officer makes over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year uh, in, in top step, and so you get there in increments of five percent uh, uh, over a course of years. So it's, it's a place where you can make a, you know, a really good living. Uh, we, uh, our, our pay is uh, higher than most anywhere else you're going to find in the country. Uh, and we're a department where the opportunities are a, a lot uh, more vast than most uh, places in the country too, because we, we are a large department. And so you can fly a helicopter, you can work undercover, uh, you can do a, a lot of different things in, in our department that uh, may not be uh, available in smaller departments, and you're probably going to make uh, more money as well. It's pretty awesome. Well, I congratulate Chief Garcia and certainly you for your leadership and helping make all of this happen. Uh, it's really a change to know that as an LGBT person who's out, that that can be an asset now, not a hindrance, an asset to being hired and, and contributing to the efforts of a department. Absolutely. Great. Where can people go to learn about career opportunities at San Jose Police Department? Go to sjpdu.com. That's sjpdyou.com. Fantastic. If you missed that link, we'll have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page, and you can find out about what careers await you. Officer Gonzalez, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Congratulations to you, and best wishes moving forward. 
Greg, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that wraps up our hour. My thanks to Positive Images and Officer James Gonzalez for being with us tonight. Next month, we travel to Denver, Colorado for the annual Matthew Shepard Foundation Gala. And this year marks two decades since Matthew was murdered in Laramie, Wyoming. We'll take a look at how his story created change in our world. Tune in next Sunday night for Alpi Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. In the meantime, do have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. an update on that story you just heard tonight governor brown did in fact sign assembly bill 2504 lgbt awareness training for law enforcement it goes into effect january 1st on air online or on the go we are radio 91 krcb fm windsor and k215 cq santa rosa a public service of northern california public media you can learn more and listen live at norcalpublicmedia.org. And don't forget to download the KRCB mobile app. You can take us with you anywhere in the world with Internet access and listen to your favorite KRCB radio show. It is just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next.
for that we have.